I saw this year especially, and I think a lot of our brands did this intentionally, right? Was a delivery of more content around the product, about the product, about the category, how to use it, how to enjoy it. Those kinds of content deliverables are different than just please buy this product or here's a promotion to go and do so. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. The marketing landscape is evolving and expanding faster than ever. With all of these great new opportunities to reach and engage with our customers, there are some complexities that pop up along the way. Michael Osborne, president of Wonderkind, knows this firsthand, and he has had a lot of conversations with brands and retailers about their performance marketing strategies. We get into some new consumer research about their expectations, their behaviors, and what they believe brands and retailers can do better with their marketing, as well as some of the hot channels and tactics that are dominating the headlines, including text message marketing and, of course, social commerce. We're in an era where marketing teams constantly need to prove the value of their campaigns and strategies, and they also need to be prepared to pivot fast. That's why a big part of our conversation is driven by recommendations and best practices direct from Michael and the Wonderkind team. Listen in and get the scoop. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time out to speak with me. It's great to meet you. Great to meet you too. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about the work you do, some of the trends that you're seeing. So let's start at the high level. Why don't you give the folks listening a bit of background about Wonderkind and the work that you're doing there as president? Sure. So Wonderkind is a performance marketing company. We have technology and services that we provide to the biggest and best brands around the world all focused on delivering to their consumers targeted one-to-one personalized messages at just the right time, of course, to drive performance. And performance for those brands is revenue. That's what we do as a company. And we get to work with some of the coolest brands on the planet, like a Macy's or a Kendra Scott or a Uniqlo. And what I do as president of the company is oversee essentially the commercial functions. So think the sales team, the services team, our partnerships team, marketing team, the functions that really address our customers' needs, both how we acquire them as well as how we service them and drive value for them over time. Fabulous. And I'm sure a big part of creating that value for your customers is identifying key trends, best practices, and how they can better generate that revenue, which I'm glad we're talking about that connection already between marketing and revenue performance. We're obviously having our conversation in the heart of the holiday season, which is a big, big time for marketers to generate that revenue, really make an impact. And I know that Wonderkind has done a lot of research about consumer behaviors, what their preferences are in the way of marketing, and what they expect from these brands during the holidays. So I know this is probably going to go live after the holidays, but it may be fun to look back and compare. So what are you seeing in the way of key trends, consumer expectations, and what do you think is maybe going to stick 
in the long run. Absolutely. So we have done a lot of research. I mean, this is this is our business and we need to understand those trends and understand what they mean to our customers and then in the end, their customers. We found that there is a significant gap actually between brand strategy, consumer desire, and the channels that best foster the right messages for that engagement. 64% of consumers are primarily depending on online shopping and just over half, 52%, plan to shop online post-pandemic. So that trend is accelerating and will only continue. When it comes to loyalty, almost 60% of US consumers are open to trying new brands. I know personally I am. I get excited when I find a new brand that looks cool, seems interesting, but that marketing messaging really needs to draw me in for me to become a customer. Just over half of those consumers also cited brand loyalty has increased during the pandemic. Again, personally, I know it did for me. There were a number of brands that I really spent quite a bit on over the last year and a half as patterns changed and behaviors changed and just even not going to the office, what I was wearing every day changed, things like that. Consumers have opinions about which marketing channels are going to be most effective. Email is still by far and away the winner. And this might surprise a lot of folks who think everything's going to mobile, everything's going to in-app. We see 51% still prefer email and almost 40% prefer text message. So clearly those are the two channels that marketers should care most about. And you'll probably hear me talk about it a couple of times during our chat today around how marketers have owned channels like those lists and text, and then they have rented channels like what they're deploying capital through Facebook or through ads, right? Those channels are very different in how they drive behavior and how a marketer can leverage them. Additionally, consumers are essentially on to marketers. And I say that a bit tongue in cheek, but they know how to judge the quality of the message. And that relates to the quality of the product, of the brand. Whether those messages are personalized or not affects greatly the outcome that that consumer is going to take, whether it's to convert, whether it's to become a loyalist, whether it's to be a high value shopper for that brand. All of those things are very relevant and marketers have to pay attention to those things. 23% of consumers believe that brands understand their individual needs and preferences, which that sounds great. That means that they understand it. But think of the unbelievable gap of the of 75% roughly that don't feel that way. Being able to move that needle over time can drive significant benefit. And I see that trend as one that needs to continue. I think the brands that are going to be successful going forward will make sure that it does. And, you know, just a couple of other interesting stats that we found, 37% of consumers have experienced ads that follow them for online products that they've already purchased. I'm sure you've experienced that. I know I have. It can be annoying. And, you know, at its worst, and it can really turn you off from a brand. And that's just not the behavior a marketer wants to elicit from their their consumer base. 65% believe that communications from retailers and brands don't have a personal touch. Lots of room for improvement there for marketers. Almost two-thirds, again, state that they are often recommended products and services that aren't relevant. I'm sure you've seen that. I know I've gotten that. And those are immediately ignored. And just to close it out, 29% feel like they're bombarded by irrelevant messages from brands. All of those negative effects are what cause a consumer to fade as a loyalist or to simply ignore that brand going forward or to look for another brand in that product category that they're looking for, one that delivers a better experience. Some really powerful data there. I think that the two things that really stand out to me, other than the tactical stuff, which we're going to be getting into after my point, I, I really liked that you called out the fact that con consumers know what marketers are doing, right? Like they know how it works. They know what the job is. They understand that data is being collected about their behaviors, what they're actually doing, and that 
that data is likely going to be used or they're going to be engaged in some way by these brands, which I feel to an extent that makes that percentage around relevance so staggering and so important, right? Like they know what marketers are doing. They know the goal is to personalize, but yet they still feel it's not personalized enough, which I feel like creates a lot of urgency there for marketers right now. It absolutely does. And we see it in the data of the customers that we work with. I see it as a consumer just personally and anecdotally. Colleagues and friends say the same thing. Messages that are personalized that seem like the marketers really understand me. They know what I'm looking for, what I like. At minimum, I'm clicking through. I'm clicking through the text message. I'm opening the email and I'm clicking through and taking a look. And at best, I'm converting, particularly when it's a promotion around something that I may have been looking at at one point, may have considered purchasing, but just haven't done yet. Or even just a reminder that those products are still available or that they're about to go out of stock. I mean, we notice a lot of benefit from kind of the, the psychological effect of missing out on the promotion, missing out on the sale missing out on the product being in stock or when it returns to stock. If it's something that I was looking at before and I get the right message of, hey, it's back in stock, take a look, those drive behavior. And it also means that, hey, the brand is paying attention to me. I think personalization may get a bad rap for it being, well, they're really analyzing my behavior and they're invading my privacy. We're not doing that. No, no one's doing that. Marketers, what they're doing is listening and paying attention to what the consumer is trying to accomplish, it's intending, or it's interested in. And those messages, those have a strong effect on loyalty over time, on lifetime value of that consumer, and the ability for a marketer to truly connect with their audience and their consumers in a way that drives that revenue performance over time. I have no problem being marketed to if it's the right marketing messaging, right? High quality, great experience, promotions at the right times, I have no problem with that. I have a lot of issue with irrelevant messaging, products I don't care about, categories I would never shop in, or you know, even worse, the promotions that come the day after I already bought the thing, right? When they know that I've purchased it and then they offer me 20% off to buy it, that's frustrating. All of that's avoidable with technology, with understanding of the data, leveraging services like ours, of course, but just making sure that consumers are being listened to and the data is being actioned on. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of really great points, Michael. I know personally for me, it's frustrating just seeing repetition, seeing the lack of personalization, especially when we get into really intimate channels, right? Like you brought up text messaging a little bit, which I know I personally have been seeing a lot of activity around. I've been seeing a lot more brands using text message opt-ins as a way to generate leads, a way to share exclusive deals and comp codes. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not a coincidence that this is really happening during the holiday season. But my follow-up question for you is, you noted that both texting and email are still the top two channels, right? So do you think that this is going to remain the same in the long term? Or are we going to start to see more activity in texting and reduced activity in email? Because I know an ongoing challenge for many marketers is standing out through the inbox. They don't want to hit consumers, so to speak, so many times. And like, is it a way to kind of like balance things out a little bit? I would love your take on like the dynamics there and, and how you think texting in particular will evolve. Yes. So, I mean, we've definitely noticed this. I've noticed it as a consumer. We've noticed it in working with all these brands. The amount of messaging going through text has increased significantly over the last couple of years. And this year, I think that trend continued. We're, we're seeing, we have statistics rather through our research around almost half, 45% are more open to text 
and emails from brands, meaning consumers are open to these messages coming that way. But you're right about the differentiation. I think that consumers treat their text, quote unquote, inbox very differently than they do their email inbox. And that's where the messaging really needs to land. If it's impersonal and it comes to me as a text, I immediately feel like it's spam. If it's personalized, if it's the right message at the right time, I feel like that's a great call to action, right? I personally signed up for quite a few of our customers' text messages and their campaigns. And of course, was very pleased with the way that those worked. I've signed up for a, a lot of brands across the across the landscape. And not all of them were that way, right? Uh, some of them were a little spammy. Some of them were impersonal. Some of them were ill-timed. Those are areas for improvement, for sure. I think that it depends on the type of content that you're trying to deliver as well, because the consumer, the stat that we have, 47% are going to watch, listen, and read consumer-branded content to make buying decisions. I saw this year especially, and I think a lot of our brands did this intentionally, right, was a delivery of more content around the product, about the product, about the category, how to use it, how to enjoy it, those kinds of content deliverables are different than just, please buy this product, or here's a promotion to go and do so. I found that valuable. I thought it was educational. I thought it was interesting. It made me engage with the brand in a different way. I certainly benefited from those kinds of messages. I think to your question around the increase of messaging in these channels versus others, I think both text and email will continue to increase. And they're not going to necessarily take from one another. They should be used in conjunction because they can be channels to deliver different types of messages. Also, when brands pay attention to the channel that a consumer prefers, that's beneficial because if I never open my email, but I respond to nearly every text you send, sending me more emails is not a good strategy. But if vice versa, I open every email you send and then convert with a text message, well, that paired strategy is better. That's going to be more beneficial to drive the revenue performance, but also it's the way that I want to engage. I think we're going to continue to see triggered sends increase. We've seen a literally a 26x increase in sends from 2016 to 2020. I do think COVID accelerated things because there was a lot more reason to send digital messages than to try and use other forms of advertising, messaging, et cetera, to try and get to the consumer. But I don't think it's going to slow down. I think that's just accelerating it, maybe bringing it forward a few years. I think we're going to see that trend continue. Okay, interesting. So to go the next layer deeper than it, so your point is that these channels have very distinct purposes, distinct values, and it's just a matter of identifying what the message is, what the objective is for the marketer, and just ensuring that whatever channel is being used meets that need for the consumer as well as for, for the brand, which kind of ties to my next question for you around the possible risks of using a method like texting. And we talked about this notion of being spammy, right? So, I mean, do you have any tips or I guess red flags marketers should kind of look out for? So this, you know, possibly very valuable and intimate line of communication doesn't fall by the wayside and go off the tracks. Right. Yeah. You're getting exactly to the core of how marketers need to use that data and the understanding and insights of their consumer's behavior in order to deliver subsequent messaging that doesn't lead them away from the brand, push them away. Namely, no one wants to feel like they're being followed around. They don't want to be targeted by ads continuously for the same product. They want to consider that product. They want to browse within the content. They want to consider it and then potentially take some time in between coming back and taking a look at it again. I'm not advocating sending no follow-on messaging. Of course not. But there are 
certain brands that market in ways that some consumers would find very annoying, um, namely those ads that do follow you around everywhere, as well as messaging that's not personalized. Now that you've seen me interact with your content, now that you know what I'm looking at, why wouldn't you continue to use that data to then say, okay, Michael Osborne would like to see this category again, or we have new products in that category, he might be interested. It's the relevance of that messaging over time, particularly once I've converted. Once I'm a customer of yours, now you have explicit data of what I prefer. You know I bought this item, whatever that item is. There's data about that item. The category that it fits into, the type of information that you can get may be varied by the product, but now you have explicit information and offering me promotions for something completely irrelevant is not a turn-on strategy. That is not a way to get me engaged with the brand further. Offering me accessories to that, offering me additional outfit options if it's an apparel brand, offering me subsequent versions of that product once it's updated. Maybe all of those, you know, those are the kinds of things that as a consumer I would be interested in because I was clearly interested in that in the first place. I think that marketers need to understand that information in order to avoid those pitfalls. And when they do that, you can tell that the messaging strategies are tailored or personalized. And it goes back to our original points that we were talking about just a few minutes ago, that those are the types of messages that drive engagement, that drive performance. And it's absolutely critical that brands pay attention to that and deliver on that story over time to that consumer in order to drive that lifetime value and long-term benefit both to the brand, but also to the consumer. All right. We're talking content and storytelling. You're speaking my language now, Michael. So with that, so we're talking about a lot about the mobile experience in a way, right? Like texting, if we go to our emails, largely through mobile devices, different content needs. But I could imagine that there are still some possible implications for marketers and like what makes good content for marketing campaigns. Is that fair to say? Because I know like when we think about the desktop experience, we could, we have a lot more real estate to be creative, to incorporate video. But I mean, how do like the rules of good marketing or good ad campaigns change when we think about it through the lens of mobile, right? Because like I know Mobile is still key for me personally. I mean, just in my behaviors, even if I end up going to a laptop eventually, I usually start the experience on my mobile device. So are there any key takeaways or implications there for marketers or even the people creating the content for the campaigns? Sure. So you actually just highlighted a trend that we saw this year, probably predominantly for the first time, which was that cross-device I'll call it a link for the behavior of the consumer. Namely that, yes, you're engaging on your phone more often than not. That's where you're starting. And then perhaps you're browsing around for a bit, but you're distracted. You're on the move. You're on the subway. You're doing whatever you're doing in your day. And you're not necessarily finishing off that session or converting and purchasing that product right there in the moment. You're transitioning later to a larger screen device, whether that be another mobile like a tablet or something like a desktop or a laptop. And the content and visual uh, strategy across all of those campaigns, whether they're delivered on a mobile device, whether they're delivered via text message, whether they're delivered via an email, has to be consistent because the consumer, you don't want to confuse them and make them wonder, is this actually the same thing I was looking at before? Is this different? You certainly don't want there to be any kind of break in that emotional journey that they're going through in interacting with your brand, right? You want to be able to draw them in tell that story over time and continue to deliver on that experience consistently across all channels. I mean, there, there's the obvious, like you need to deliver on content that is displayable and easily readable, usable, interacting with online as well, on a laptop rather, as well as a mobile device. 
But the strategy for particularly for those two channels we were talking about, text and email, needs to be consistent as well. If I click through a mobile link and I link through a text message and I get a landing page or a details page that looks wildly different than what I'm going to see in the email that I open later when I've already received a message from you as a brand, that disconnect can lead to much lower productivity of that campaign. So marketers have to pay attention to the consistency of that and take into account that the experience may not take a linear path. That consumer might browse from the phone, click through that text message and say, oh, this is interesting. I'll do that later. And then when they're at home checking their email, they see, oh, wow, okay, that the brand has emailed me something over here too. It's very similar to what I saw before. I'm just as engaged now as I was then. I'll click through and convert and end up making a purchase. So I really think it has to do with understanding the paths that their consumers could take. This is variable by brand. Each brand has their own demographic. Each brand has their own mix and style of buyer. Each brand has their own consideration to purchase length, right? Some purchases I might think about for a week. Others I might buy on a whim. All of those variables need to be taken into account by a marketer so that they can design the right experiences across those channels and then making sure that they're orchestrated properly and coordinated visually as well as just by delivery timing and by the types of promotions and again always personalized back to that behavior all of those things need to be taken into account in order to deliver a high quality experience for the consumer which is what all marketers are trying to get to love that so I'm going to add another channel into the mix now. What role does social play in all of this, right? Because I appreciate the notion of continuity and consistency between text and email. Like how does that add complexity or maybe even opportunity when we get into social media, right? Because there are so many components. There are so many platforms and then there are also, there's the feed and then there are advertising campaigns and then there's live streaming. So like, how does this all? tie in then. Sure. Yeah. And I think some of the very popular, but relatively nascent to commerce social channels do play a role. And it really depends on the brand, right? There are brands that we work with that have strong social presences, whether that be on Instagram, whether that be through TikTok and promoters therein, whether, I mean, literally even brands on Clubhouse, many of them don't right? Because that's not the demographic of their consumer base, or that's not the best way for them to necessarily dedicate those resources today. Those things change over time, clearly. I mean, we wouldn't have been talking about TikTok just a few years ago, but now it can be an excellent source for promoters talking about a given brand, which immediately takes a product viral. We've seen that happen with our customers already. Is that predictable? Not necessarily. But is it something that can be taken advantage of once that happens? Absolutely. Because once consumers are exposed, being able to follow up to those users that have now come to the website and browse that product, being able to continue to message them over time is exactly how you're going to convert them. So while I wouldn't say that every brand needs to go out and immediately invest millions of dollars in every social channel for exposure, for some of them, it totally makes sense. For others, it does not. Being able to take advantage of those changes in behavior or influx of visitors or interested parties basically in a given product because of perhaps a promotion online that was completely unexpected, being able to respond to those is critical, right? And that goes for any time a given product or a given brand gets a bunch of attention. You want to be able to capitalize on that and convert as many of those consumers to longtime loyal customers. I think that the trend in social media is very difficult to predict. It's easy to understand now as we're experiencing it, as you witness it and can analyze it, it's harder to predict. Even just the mechanisms by which consumers will interact with social content can be challenging to understand well in advance of them occurring. 
I think it's up to the brands, though, in being able to take advantage of the influx of traffic and interest in a brand is something that a marketer always has to be prepared to do. And these social channels can immediately overnight turn a given product into an absolute sensation. The brands that are able to understand that and react to that in real time are the ones that are able to capitalize on those opportunities. Trying to predict them, very difficult. But being able to adapt to them should be very easy. And marketers that do that well really do gain the benefit of those social channels. Yeah, I 100% agree. And there are so many great opportunities for content creation, for brand amplification through these different channels. I mean, TikTok, I still don't know how to use it fully, but it's still fascinating to me. I love to look at the content and see the the creative force behind it. But it leads me to a follow-up question for you around this notion of rented versus owned land, which you brought up briefly earlier on in our conversation. And I know the conversations around it, the debates around it have been heating up a little bit, especially after we had that moment where Instagram was down for quite a long while and creators were and brands alike were kind of freaking out. I mean, what do you recommend to your clients and how do you kind of handle these conversations? I mean, do you have recommendations around like how much time and budget to allocate towards say social versus site content or through mobile? I mean, I'm sure it varies depending on the brand and the audience, but like, are there any key parameters that the listeners right now should be keeping in mind? Yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that. It varies. It's very difficult for me to say categorically, this is the blend of spend you should have across your channels and the investments you should make because a brand like Eddie Bauer is very different than a brand like Uniqlo. And those are two completely different audiences that they're going to focus on and different messages that they want to drive. So when we talk to our customers about this, obviously the strategies that we encourage and deploy are going to be specific to that brand. That said, I think that there is more and more a shift towards the owned channels versus what we call rented channels. And to be very clear on that, owned are the things that marketers control, their email list, their text list any registrations to their loyalty programs, et cetera, data and contact information that they have about their consumers that they can directly interact with anytime they want. But given those consumers have to be opted in and, and want to receive those messages. Whereas the rented channels are things like Google and Facebook, where a marketer spends more and more and more over time to address essentially the same audience because the growth of even Facebook's audience has really plateaued. And competition for those audiences has increased. So basically, the unit cost of interaction continues to rise, even though the benefit back to the brand might have already flattened out. So as those brands build those lists of consumers that have opted into their messages and are now saying, please feel free, send me a message. When they dedicate more and more resources, effort, time, money to developing the right long-term stories that those customers get to experience with the brands, when they develop the right strategies to deliver on the promotions and the targeting of the right product at the right time to those consumers, those investments pay it back in spades. That's why we see, as far as performance data goes, the capabilities of that targeted messaging rivaling the performance, if not exceeding, of Google and Facebook. And if you look at it on a like a return on ad spend basis, far exceeding those other channels. That's important for a marketer. So as a brand takes a look at how am I going to spend my resources, whether it be money or my people's time in developing the creative, when they spend that on those rented channels, it gets more and more expensive over time. When they spend it on those owned channels, 
they're getting higher and higher benefit over time. That's why we're seeing the shift towards them. Marketers, CMOs, brands are spending more and more effort on those owned channels because that's where their consumers are. They have control of the story over time and they can develop that long lifetime value of that consumer, which is obviously the most beneficial thing for a brand. Right. Absolutely. And then the more of that conversation or that relationship that they can own, ultimately, the more data and insight they have about their customers, which leads to better performing campaigns, more personalized experiences. It feels like it's kind of like a cycle, right? It is. Absolutely. No, this is excellent. So, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of new trends, a lot of new channels in this marketing ecosystem and and a lot of opportunities. But of course, with that expansion, there's a lot of complexity. And I'm sure, well, I'm definitely sure because I hear it from my, my marketing colleagues that being able to pinpoint the exact journey, pinpoint performance and impact, it's getting more complex, right? So, I mean, what is the ultimate ripple effect or what are some of the challenges that may emerge as this marketing ecosystem expands, as teams test new channels? And is there anything that they can do to kind of temper these issues that may come up? So, I mean, this is a question, essentially, we get asked all the time by our customers and have personally been in MarTech and on the vendor side, working with retailers basically for 20 years. I think the number one thing I would recommend for any brand is to remain agile and pay attention to the data. It's amazing still how many brands ignore the trend shifts in their own data and basically get caught flat-footed, are not ahead of the curve on that, are not delivering the kinds of experiences the products even, the messages, the marketing campaigns that their consumers really are going to react to. It's to our conversation earlier about social channels. It's impossible to know, predict what's going to be the next big thing, but it's easy to see it when it's happening and being able to understand it and adapt to it quickly is that agility I'm talking about. I mean, there's certain trends that we know are going to continue. Like we talked about the email and text use is going to continue to rise. It's not going anywhere. It's just going to get even more prolific. prolific. Consumer engagement is still something that can be measured and understood. So you just as a brand have to continue to pay attention to that. And I think even while COVID is is still with us, uh, hopefully 22 sees the end of this as as such a, a focus point for the whole world, really, and allows people to get back to the same in-store behavior they had prior to it. Brick and mortar is not dead. I think there's a lot of headlines over the last, say, five years, maybe even 10, about the the end of the malls, et cetera. Consumers still like to shop in person. And being able to understand for brands that have an in-store presence how that behavior differs between those channels and how a marketer needs to adapt to things like buy online, pick up in-store, which was interesting in 2019 and absolutely required in 2020. Those kinds of shifts just have to be adapted to. And the recommendation I make every time is basically remain agile, pay attention to the data. If you can do those things, you'll be fine. You'll continue to adapt. If you don't, you'll be a brand that gets forgotten and a brand that did pay attention to that will take over. That's always my recommendation to retailers, to marketers, continuing to focus on that behavioral data and understanding where their consumers are going and being able to adapt to it quickly. Definitely great advice. So we're at the end of our time together, Michael, but so many great insights, great data, great perspectives on the trends shown in the data and some best practices along the way. But we're closing things up. This is going to be running early in the new year, fresh start, new beginnings, new ideas. So do you have any thoughts or predictions on how you believe the digital marketing landscape will evolve this year? And if so, do you have any 
tips or best practices to help all of the marketers listening right now prepare for what these trends are. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, a number of the things we just talked about are relevant for that. We still see email and text as the main channels and being able to focus on those and delivering that cross-channel orchestrated and 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 unified message, I think it's, it's so critical. I think one thing that comes out of every holiday season is a ton of data. You've heard the statistics before, but as much as 40% of all sales of a given brand may occur in this month or between at least Thanksgiving and Christmas. And when you think about that, that means almost half of all of that behavioral information was just handed to you. Making sure that you start the new year with a deeper understanding and analysis of that in order to adapt those behaviors or adapt rather your messages and your marketing strategies to those behaviors is so critical. Mobile will continue to be a shift. We're going to continue to see it be more and more prolific that folks are working on their phones, browsing on their phones, buying on their phones, as opposed to on a desktop. But as we talked about earlier, that can cross both and making sure you understand the consumers that want to start on one, finish on another. That's an important part of that overall consumer base. I think, again, buy online, pick up in-store, paying attention to the in-store presence and the information that you can gather there, but also the consumers that prefer purchasing in-store and making sure you're marketing to them in a different way. Critical as always, especially as COVID hopefully winds down. And just, I think, universally, the focus will continue on rented versus owned channels, making sure that you're focused on those email lists, on your text lists, getting as many opt-ins as you can get, obviously, but also making sure that you're delivering quality messages to those each time so you're not having anyone hit the unsubscribe button. All of those are going to be just as important this year as they have been in years past. I think the trends are just going to continue to accelerate. Excellent. Well, Michael, it was a real pleasure meeting you, hearing your perspectives on all of the fascinating trends that are happening right now. I I really appreciated your attention to not just the channels themselves, but the creative and how important it is to take an agile, data-driven approach. Definitely aligns really nicely with a lot of the conversations that I've been having and a lot of the research that I've been seeing. So thank you again so much for taking the time out to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. And to all of you, appreciate you taking the time out to join us for this conversation. If you have any follow-up questions or feedback for Michael, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at retail touchpoints. And if you like what you heard, drop us a review. We are on all podcast players, essentially, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and frankly, anywhere else. Drop us a comment, a review, so more people can discover the show and get in on the fun. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.